You know when you have a really special experience, <clears throat> like a really special experience, don't you just want to share it with somebody? Like I think that's why all these people keep asking me if I've seen this Bird Box movie. Anybody been asking you that too? Um, it's like they had an experience apparently. I haven't seen it, but then they just want to share it with somebody else. And I think it's why we, when we get engaged or when we find out we're pregnant, or even when you try a new restaurant and it turns out to be really good. It's just something in you feels like you just have to tell somebody. Like, remember the first chocolate cake shake you had at Portillo's? Tell me you didn't go to somebody right away and want to share it with them and just tell them, not, not share the actual cake shake with them, but tell them about what you had just experienced, right? There's something natural about that, and C.S. Lewis talks about it. Um, he's got some insight on why that happens, and uh, here's what he says about it. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. In other words, when I tell you about a sunset that I saw, it's not just that I experienced this joy and now I want to just uh, recount to you the joy that I experienced. It's because there's more joy that I have yet to access that I can't access until the act of telling somebody else about it. And I'm trying to fill up my last piece of joy from that sunset by the only way that's possible to experience it, which is by sharing it with somebody else. Right? It's a natural human phenomenon. And sometimes we can uh, scratch that itch by telling it with our words. But for some of life's greatest experiences and greatest joys, sometimes we find that our words fall short of being able to achieve what we want to achieve and helping this other person experience what we experience. And we end up saying something like this, ah, you just got to see it for yourself. You got to experience it for yourself, right? And for some of us, the supreme example of an experience like that has been our experience of relationship with Jesus, We've met him, and since we've met him, it's been bursting out of us that we want to share it with others, and so we love to tell about him and describe him and theologize about him, if that's a word, especially with people who haven't experienced him yet, but sometimes we get to the point when we're sharing about Jesus with people that we just want to say, oh, I just wish you could meet him for yourself. I just want you to experience what I've experienced in Jesus. There's a guy named Philip that we're going to look at today who felt just like that after he met Jesus. He wanted others to experience it too. Would you turn with me to John chapter 1? John chapter 1. A little background as you're turning to John chapter 1. <clears throat> Jesus is a 30-year-old Jewish rabbi at this point. He's just started his public ministry and he's assembling a team. So far, in John's gospel, the team has been assembled like this. Jesus' famous cousin has been going around talking about Jesus. And some of the people who were following Jesus' famous cousin have started to say to Jesus' cousin, is it okay if we stop following you and start following Jesus? Jesus' cousin's like, yeah, that's the point. 
And so two of those guys are Andrew and a friend of his. And then Andrew goes and wants his brother to know, Simon Peter. And so now Andrew and Simon Peter are both following Jesus. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 43 of John chapter 1. Follow along with me as I read just these four verses, starting in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. We see here in these four verses that Philip first accepts an invitation from Jesus and then he turns around and extends an invitation to his friend Nathaniel. And if you've been around here before, you've heard something like this in some form in the past that this is just at its simplest how the Christian faith is supposed to work. One person meeting Jesus and then turning around and introducing another person to Jesus. There's no grand, complex scheme for the expansion of the kingdom of God laid out in the Bible. There's no party platform for Christianity. It's just as simple as that. I meet Jesus, and then I turn around and share with somebody else the Jesus that I've met. And in this text, as we're going to look at it, uh, we we heard it last week from Pastor Craig. That's the main thing, that we need to keep the main thing. So every church's mission statement should ultimately come back to some form, some way of saying that. And here at North Sub, we've laid it out like this. We want to meet people at the well and disciple them in the word and send them out as empowered Christians, empowered disciples to transform the world. And Pastor Craig reminded us last week, let's keep that main thing, the main thing. And what I want to do these next two weeks of this series is lay out two practical ways Two practical strategies in which we can live out this mission and keep the main thing the main thing. And so this week, what we're going to be talking about is something I want to call inviting. Next week, I want to talk about extending. So this week is a come and see type call. And next week is a go and seek type call. And I want to make the case over the next two weeks that really to live out this mission practically, really at its simplest, boils down to us doing those two things. Inviting others in to what we've experienced and going out to where others are and bringing with us the light of Christ. So that's what we're going to be doing today is the inviting piece. We might talk about it in terms of hospitality later on, but in our text, we're going to trace it like this. We're going to see Philip accepting the invitation from Jesus first, and then we're going to see him turn around and extend an invitation to his friend Nathaniel. But we're going to go through those two pretty quickly because I want to save some extended time at the end for some practical reflection on what this might look like right here on the North Shore in 2018, all right? That's where we're going today. Let's jump in in verse 43 with Philip accepting the invitation. Let's read verse 43 once again. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, here's the invitation, follow me. Two thoughts about that invitation, follow me. Jesus, as a Jewish rabbi, wasn't unique in calling people to follow him, but The way it usually worked at the time with other rabbis was that would-be disciples would come to the rabbi and ask, can I follow you? 
And then the rabbi would make a decision whether they saw this person as a worthy follower or not. Not so with Jesus, though. What we see Jesus doing consistently in the Gospels is going to people, taking the initiative, and inviting them to follow him. In fact, we don't see a single time in the Gospels, a definitive time in which somebody comes to Jesus asking to follow him, and he accepts them as a disciple. Every time we see it happen, it's Jesus taking the initiative. Another aspect of this call, though, is that this call to follow me isn't just um, a light invitation. Right? When Philip hears this follow me, he knows that Jesus is doing more in this moment than just asking him to log on to his Instagram and hit the follow button and then just move on with life. Right? This is going to be an all-consuming call, as it was to follow any rabbi at the time, but even more so with Jesus, who is claiming to be Lord and King of our lives. This was going to require Philip leaving his family, leaving his job, to follow Jesus, to be where Jesus was, to learn what Jesus knew, and ultimately, most importantly, to become who Jesus was. So who is this Philip who would accept such a weighty call in verse 44? We don't know much about Philip, but verse 44 tells us that he is from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. What's notable about Bethsaida is not much. It's a small fishing town. But when we reflect on the fact that three and maybe five of Jesus' 12 disciples, he called from this small fishing town of Bethsaida, the kind of place that Stanford recruiters were not really showing up too often. It's an encouragement, I think, to those of us who sometimes are prone to doubt whether we have what it takes to follow Jesus. Two just reflections that I don't want to miss before we move on from this first point, from these first two verses, 43 and 44. Here are these two things. I think, I think if we just moved on to the inviting piece of today's sermon, where we're going to spend most of our time without first talking about accepting the invitation, we'd be missing something critical, and that's that Philip has to accept this invitation before he has anything to offer to others. And so I think it's my responsibility this morning just to stop right now and just ask you to consider whether you have accepted this invitation from Jesus. The invitation that he's extending this morning is the exact same one that he was extending to Philip back then. Follow me. And just like with Philip, it's a weighty call. It's an all-consuming call. It isn't something that can be just taken lightly. But if you accept it, it'll transform your whole life. And you might say, well, I don't know if I thought that I was following Jesus, but I don't know if when I accepted that call, I really realized that it was going to cost me, that it was going to be such an all-consuming thing. In that situation, here's a helpful way to discern. Here's a question to ask to discern whether it is that you've really accepted Jesus' call to follow him or not. Okay, here it is. Can your life be explained without referring to Jesus? Can every aspect of your life, from where you, why you live where you live, to why you have the job that you have, to why you interact the way you do with your family members, 
to how you spend your money, on down the list, to why you exercise or why you don't exercise? Can every aspect of your life be explained rationally and truthfully without talking about Jesus? If so, you may have accepted some invitation, but it may not have been the invitation that Jesus extends to follow him. Because the call to follow Jesus is a call that, if accepted, will turn your life upside down. He is the sort of king, the sort of ruler, the sort of lord who aims to invade every square inch of your heart in such a way that even the things you do the way you used to do them before are still transformed because you do them for different purposes than you did them before. But friends, this, this call to follow me I want to make sure and emphasize is it's a free invitation for you and me this morning. Even if you came here this morning and you thought you accepted it, but you realized you didn't accept the real thing, this is a free invitation that you and I have that we can receive this morning, and it's been purchased for us at great cost to the one who did the inviting. Jesus shed his blood not only to forgive us for our sinful failure to follow him, but also to empower us to begin following him and then to keep following him along the way. Have you accepted that invitation this morning? Do you have something to offer to others? Well, Philip does accept the invitation when Jesus says, follow me. And then what does he do next? Well, he does what's most natural to do when you've had an experience like that, an unbelievable experience like meeting Jesus and walking with him. It just comes bursting out of him. And he shares it with others. Let's take a look at that in verse 45. It says that Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. In other words, Nathanael, we found the one that you and I have been reading about since we were kids. We found the one that we've all been waiting for. It's him. He's the one. Maybe you have done something similar and shared that. It just couldn't help bursting out of you. And you did because when you first came to know Jesus, you didn't know any better. It was just the most natural thing to do. And it is natural, isn't it? Think about it this way. Um, When the Bears were making their run this year and uh, having the best season they've had in several years, imagine if you saw on the Bears' social media accounts that they posted a video Um, saying something like this. Hey, Bears fans, we've become aware that there's a lack of enthusiasm right now for the Bears. People aren't really expressing themselves and their excitement for the Bears at the moment. But we know how it is. We know that inside you're excited. You just don't know exactly how to show it on the outside. And there's lots of reasons for that. Maybe, Maybe you don't know if you start sharing your excitement for the Bears if you might end up talking to a Packers fan, right? So we want to make this video to give you four practical steps to share your joy about the bears with us, right? You never saw a video like that. They didn't even think about making a video like that because that's not a problem that people have. Bears fans are not struggling to know how to express their excitement before the playoff game happened because they were just genuinely excited about it and the most natural thing to do was for it to well up out of them, right? Do you ever think about how odd it is that for us as Christians, we tend to be the ones in the world, sometimes the only ones, 
who are shortcutting that natural process and cutting off what's so natural to just share what we're excited about, just like everybody else around us is sharing what they're excited about. Like we have to spend day after day after day listening to our friends and coworkers go on and on talking about hot waitresses and nice fancy cars and how they cheated on their taxes this year and got away with it, right? But then we're the ones at the table who have something that we're excited about who are just shutting it down. Why is that? But Philip does the natural thing. He extends the invitation. And you might be here this morning saying, well, listen, I, I did what Philip did when I first became a Christian. I did share. I extended the invitation, but people just responded to it with such skepticism and animosity. But that's what Philip experiences here. So let's continue on in the story. Philip shares with his friend Nathaniel. And how does Nathaniel respond? Verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? In other words, Philip, you and I both know what Nazareth is like. It's a backwoods place. There's some strange folks that come from Nazareth. We both know the reputation of that place, and we both know Messiah could not come from there. Philip, I mean, Nathaniel doesn't have time for Philip's uh, crazy theories about where Messiah came from and how this could be Messiah. And maybe you've experienced something similar when you've shared about Jesus with somebody you knew and loved and cared about. Um, Maybe they said, can anything good come out of organized religion? Do you know what organized religion has done over the years to people? Nothing good can come out of organized religion. Remember they said specifically, what, what good can come out of Christianity? Have you been reading the news and what Christians do when they get power? They abuse it and take advantage of people and then they use the church's power to cover it up. Or maybe even specifically, they're like, oh, you're one of those evangelical Christians? What good can come out of evangelical Christianity? Those are the most backward, intolerant people out there. And that's where you think you've found what you're looking for? We shouldn't be surprised when the world responds with skepticism to what we're telling them about Jesus. It's been happening since the beginning, and it's going to continue to happen to the end. The question is, what do we do with it? What do we do in response in those moments? Let's see what Philip does, second half of verse 46. But actually, before we look at that, let's think of what Philip could do in this moment. When he shares with Nathaniel the truth about the Messiah, Nathaniel responds with skepticism. How could Philip respond? He could try to show Nathaniel the holes in his argument, right? So he could say, Hey, Nathaniel, do you really want to be the kind of person who judges everybody from a town based on the reputation and the stereotypes of the whole? Right? That might be a good approach. Or he might try to build a logical case for Nathaniel and say, look at all these scriptures that Jesus has been fulfilling. This is why empirical data shows that Jesus probably is the Messiah. This could have been good approaches. In this particular case, that's not the direction Philip goes with it. What does he do instead? Second half of verse 46. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Come and see. In other words, Philip knew in this moment that what Nathaniel needed most was not some sort of logical argument about why Jesus was the Messiah. What what Nathaniel needed most 
was to get to meet Jesus and see him for himself, to get to experience Jesus for himself. You, who have accepted Jesus' invitation to follow him, and then you've shared the good news with others, and then that good news has been met with skepticism. Have you taken this next step that Philip has taken? Inviting that person to come and see Jesus for themselves? That's our big idea for today. Let's invite skeptical people to come and see Jesus. Nathaniel's a skeptical person in this text, and Philip gives us a model here. Let's invite skeptical people to come and see Jesus. Of course, the question we're all asking is how, right? Like you're probably thinking, well... That's great for Philip. He can say, come and see Jesus because Jesus is literally walking and talking and living and breathing and he can bring Nathaniel to meet the physical Jesus in person. How am I supposed to say, come and see Jesus when I'm living in a time in which Jesus isn't walking the earth with us here? But remember what we sang earlier today. Um, Don't we have a Jesus who is still living and breathing? Isn't that the good news of our faith? Does anybody believe that? that we have a Jesus who didn't stay in the grave, that he's still alive, and though he's risen to the right hand of the Father, and so he isn't walking the earth in the same way right now, don't we believe that we still have the same access to Jesus that Nathaniel had, or Philip had, even in John chapter 1, through his Holy Spirit? And don't we believe that the risen Jesus through his Holy Spirit is making, him know, making himself known and allowing himself to be experienced in any number of ways here on this earth? Anybody believe that this morning? I'm looking for some response. Thank you. If we believe that, if we believe that Jesus is making himself known and allowing himself to be experienced in any number of ways, then that means that for those of us who have accepted the invitation, there's any number of ways that we can say, come and see to our friends if you've been around here for any length of time, you've heard about some of those ways that we try to make opportunities for people to come and see. Sometimes uh, an evangelistic preacher will come to town and we'll let you know that that's happening and uh, it's an opportunity to invite a friend. We've had some video series that we've uh, done here at the church um, on questions of science or the reliability of the Bible um, for people who have questions about those sort of things. And some of you have taken those video series and then taken them out and shared them with friends who had those same questions. Pastor Craig shared with us last week about this Alpha class. Alpha course is starting up. Um, an opportunity for people, for all of us, to bring people that we know who have questions about the faith into a non-threatening environment and get to experience Jesus in his word right there in the midst of other believers. All of those are great ways in which we can today, in 2018, on the North Shore, say, come and see. Right? And really, we can have hope that our friends, our loved ones, our neighbors will get to experience the risen Jesus in those moments. But I want to spend our last few minutes together talking about one other way that we can invite people to come and see Jesus. Um, it's a way that people can come and see Jesus that we haven't talked as much about over the last couple of years here at North Sub. But the Bible talks about it enough that I think it's worth spending the rest of our time on as a practical reflection, as a practical way to live out what we've seen here in John chapter 1 today. 
So in order to get there, I just want to add a little tag onto our big idea. I said, let's invite skeptical people to come and see Jesus. Now I want to just tag onto that by seeing him in us. Let's invite skeptical people to come and see Jesus by seeing him in us. What do I mean by that? By seeing him in us? I'm referring to a biblical idea that we call hospitality. Hospitality, it's commanded of all believers. In Romans 12, it says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In Hebrews 13, it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. In 1 Peter 4, it says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Um, If you aspire to be a pastor or an elder, uh, you are unqualified for the job unless hospitality is characteristic of your life, according to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. But what is this hospitality that we're called to as Christians? I think the dictionary definition maybe gets close to what we're talking about. The friendly reception of guests or strangers, that's a start. If we want to think about it more theologically, we might say something like this. Welcoming others into our lives in such a way that outsiders become insiders. Welcoming others into our lives in such a way that outsiders become insiders. I'm suggesting that as one practical way, one practical takeaway this week in which we can invite others to come and see Jesus for themselves in us as we live out our lives. Now probably, when most of us hear that term hospitality, we think of things that take place in our homes, having people over, Um, sharing a meal with them, inviting them to stay if they need a place to stay. And that is all wrapped up in hospitality. And there's a reason why we think of homes first and foremost, because that is probably ground zero of where our hospitality needs to begin. There's a reason why the church over the centuries has been known for using our homes for hospitality to others. And the reason is something like this. Think about it this way. The difference between a home and a meeting in maybe a coffee shop. So I have lots of meetings in coffee shops. If I meet with you in a coffee shop, we can have a good time together. We'll have a good conversation. It'll be great. But if you invite me into your home, now some different things are going to happen that wouldn't happen in the coffee shop. So I'm going to find myself sitting in a chair that's a kind of unique kind of chair that I haven't seen before, and I'm going to ask you about it. And you're going to tell me about how it was passed down to you from your parents. And you're going to tell me about what part of the world your parents immigrated from and why this chair is distinctive and it's from that part of the world. I'm going to look at your Christmas tree and see a particular ornament that you have up on your Christmas tree. And I'm going to ask you about and hear a story about you that I wouldn't have heard otherwise. I'm going to notice the books that are on your shelves. And I'm going to see the pictures on your walls. I'm going to ask you about a certain face in one of those pictures. And you're going to tell me about a family member. And all the while... I'm going to be watching you interact with your family members. I'm going to be hearing how you pray before the meal. Um, I'm going to be seeing what life looks like on an everyday basis with you and your roommates or your family members, whoever's in the home with you. And in doing so, I'm going to get to know you on a deeper level. Now think about if I'm a fellow Christian coming into your home. I can be inspired by some things that I've seen, and I can get a better picture of, oh, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus, right? But if I'm an unbeliever, if I'm skeptical about the faith, 
Think about what an opportunity that is. Because with every one of those questions I ask about what's on your walls or why you do things the way you do or how much TV your family watches or any of that, the answers that you give me, because you're somebody who's following Jesus, are all saturated by a love for Jesus and an intentionality in terms of why you do all those things that's driven by a desire to glorify God in every single sphere and arena of your life. What an opportunity that is for me to see something with my own eyes, to experience it personally that I haven't seen before. If I'm a skeptic who has hesitations about Christianity, who's hostile to it, who's like Nathaniel, that hospitality might have the power to break down some of what I thought about Christians. Because now I've seen Christians live on an everyday basis, and now I've seen that they're not what I thought they were. There's something different about them, something that maybe if I'm willing to admit it, that I don't have. And over time, that can become appealing. And so that's part of why this hospitality comes into the conversation for our series about living on mission, because... This is one of the great gifts that God has given us, the great opportunities he's given us to live out the mission as we welcome others into our lives. Now, two caveats. One, this doesn't just have to happen in the home. I wish we had time to talk about other ways that you can do hospitality outside the home. Um, If you get this book, Rosaria Butterfield's book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, it's just a phenomenal book that would give you lots of practical ideas about how to do this. Um, we've been having a Sunday morning 9.15 class in the gym, and if you download that recording from this morning, you'll get some more practical ideas that we discussed this morning. But while it will start in the home, and much of this will be done in the home, and I think the home is a great place to do this for a lot of reasons, there's ways to do hospitality outside the home as well, inviting people into your other everyday rhythms and places where you feel comfortable and where you are yourself. Um, a second caveat is that um, this, I want to make sure I'm clear that hospitality that we've been talking about today isn't the only way to invite people to come and see. We've talked about many other ways. This Alpha course is one of them, and this is just one way to do this. Um, But I want to close up just with this thought. If I took a show of hands here this morning as to who feels a little bit uncomfortable with this discussion about hospitality, this call to hospitality, probably a lot of our hands in the room would go up. Um, I think there are a lot of reasons for that. I can think of three in particular. One is we've all made decisions in our lives that have, for the most part, made us pretty busy people, and this feels like one more thing to add in. Two is this isn't really done around here that much anymore in the way it was in years past. Most of our friends and neighbors really value privacy And so we worry that to invite people into our home would be perceived as an invasion of their privacy, a breakdown of the barriers we've put up with each other. And third, we've got this idea of hospitality in our minds that uh, because of what we've seen here on the North Shore, it's not really hospitality unless you're sitting on a $10,000 couch and sipping the finest wines and eating the finest cheeses before serving a meal on the finest china, right? But I just want to say, before we close out today, that none of those are reasons not to do this, not to follow this biblical call to hospitality, and not to follow this biblical call to hospitality as a strategy for carrying out our mission. 
So just to work backwards with those three, it doesn't need to be fancy, right? The whole point is to invite people into your everyday life. So don't worry about filet mignon. Put some beans and rice in the crock pot in the morning. Invite people over to have some people bring drinks when they come. And have a meal together on your everyday plates using your everyday cups. As to the, the uh, pushback that, hey, maybe people's privacy will feel invaded, you might be surprised when you talk to people. Even the people you think most value privacy and most would not want a request like this, in the digital age that we live in, more people than you know are starved, actually, for something like this. Whether they realize it or not, they find it refreshing, actually, to be invited into an actual home with actual people who are actually making an effort to know and to be known in a real way. And as for that first one about being busy, I would just say start somewhere. If it's important to you to be living out the scriptural call in this way, just start somewhere. Start small. Sarah and I, just to give an example, when we first became convicted of our lack in this area of life, we had just come off a stretch of time that I may have mentioned before that we had six months go by that we noticed that we ate one meal at home together um, over the course of six months. And we're like, man, we feel convicted about this. The Bible calls us to be hospitable. Nobody's, you know, we're doing mission. We're feeling really great about what we're doing, but nobody's getting to see what our everyday life looks like and what a Christian marriage looks like and what a Christian home looks like by coming into our home and seeing it. But we knew we aren't going to be the people who are just able to jump in and have people over every day, right? Our house is always a disaster because we're not in this rhythm. So, we said, okay, we're going to do once a month. We're going to put the dates on the calendar six months in advance, and we're just going to force ourselves to do it and be adults and clean the house and have people over and ask them to bring stuff and help us out with it. And that became a really good way for us to start and jump in. And then there are seasons, right? So we had a baby, and then we've got an infant at home anyway that kind of anchors us to the home, so we were able to have people over more that first year. And then this year, some circumstances changed, and we're back to once a month. So there's going to be different seasons, don't feel like you have to jump into doing it every day, but start somewhere. Start small. There's no excuse for any of us to um, avoid this call if we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit burdening us in our hearts to reach our friends and neighbors, both believers and unbelievers, in this loving way. The bottom line call for today is... Let's reach our skeptical people in our lives with the gospel of Jesus. And let's do it by inviting them in to see, see Jesus in us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we don't have to have seminary degrees and advanced training in order to live out your mission. Thank you that when it really boils down to it, it's just experiencing you and then helping others to experience what we've experienced. Thank you that we all have the tools and resources at our disposal to just invite others into our lives and see what you've done in us. Thank you for changing us, for transforming us, for saving us, for rescuing us, for making us new, and for empowering us to follow you. Help us to spur each other on to just that in the coming weeks and months as we uh, refresh ourselves on what this mission is and exhort one another to carry it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.